student once asked my friend, colleague, the historian and journalist Richard Reeves, what's your definition of real news? And Richard said, the news we need to keep our freedom. Welcome to On Assignment. I'm Abby Wright, here with my partner in crime, Lisa Cohen. Hello, Lisa. Hi, Abby. Today's episode is going to be a little different from usual format. Um, We're going to bring you some highlights from the 75th anniversary celebration of the DuPont Columbia Awards that took place just five days after the inauguration. And it was a really big night featuring some incredible speakers, some incredible journalism. And, um, you know, I think we're still kind of recovering from it, but it was really, I hate to use the word special, Lisa, but I'm going to say it was a special night. (laughs) I think for a couple of reasons. One is that it was our 75th anniversary, so we had a slightly amped up format, which we'll talk about in a minute. But also it came just days after this inauguration, and I think uh, everybody in the room is feeling a little bit beleaguered, a little bit maybe, uh, on the other hand, also fiercer in a way to defend our ability to do a journalist's job, uh, and you yeah. can really feel it, I felt like. Absolutely. Sort of a redefined sense of purpose, a commitment to doing great work. Um, yeah, it was really a unique evening. So today we are going to bring you some of the speeches from some of our guests that night at the DuPont celebration. Right. So to just set it up a little bit to understand uh, what you're going to be hearing, the evening was hosted by NBC News anchor Lester Holt and by Jane Pauley, who's recently joined CBS News as the host of Sunday Morning. And we, for the 75th anniversary, brought back some of the past winners who really embodied the DuPont tradition, people who've won several DuPonts, who... uh, really helped us to make the evening special, I think. Real legends of journalism, including Bill Moyers from PBS, CNN's Christian Amanpour, and This American Life creator and host Ira Glass. And then towards the end of the evening, we had a tribute to Gwen Ifill, PBS's Gwen Ifill, who passed away this past November. And Charlene Hunter-Gold, a friend and former colleague, was kind enough to come join us and speak very, very eloquently about her friend and colleague. I loved how Charlene uh, talked about the fact that both she and Gwen were PKs. Didn't you find that? Preacher's kids. Yeah. Um, she really moved us all and, um, and had some inspiring words. And we hope you all enjoy them as much as we did. So without further ado, we're going to bring to you, I think the first thing you'll hear is Lester Holt, who at the beginning of the evening gave some brief remarks. And then an introduction to each of our special honorees, and some words from them. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, and welcome to Columbia University's historic Low Library Rotunda and to the 2017 Alfred I. DuPont Columbia University Awards. I'm Lester Holt, and tonight we celebrate the 75th anniversary of these distinguished awards by honoring the best in broadcast, online, and documentary journalism from 2015 to 2016. This year's 14 awards come at a time when the role of the free press has never been more important. And we will feature some very special guests, past winners, who are here to highlight the rich history of these awards. 
I'm joined tonight by Jane Polly from CBS News. Welcome to Jane, who will be my partner in honoring, honoring your exceptional work with the DuPont Silver Baton. Anyway, before we get started, let me just say a few words about journalism right now. It is certainly an honor to share the stage with colleagues who, through their work, remind us of that journalism remains a high calling, a noble profession. You don't hear that a lot. Uh, it's an important pillar. It is an important pillar supporting our very democracy. We are all well aware of what is happening around us right now, the attacks on our legitimacy, the efforts to undermine or our relevance. And I know I'm expected at this point to say something profound, but here's all I got. Let's just do what we do. Do our jobs. Um, they say the best revenge is doing well, and we do well when we report the news the way they teach in places like this. We attribute, we source, we go where the facts lead us, we tell our audiences what we know and what we don't know, and we're never afraid to ask the hard questions. What we can't do is get trapped in a debate. We're not at war with anyone or any entity. That's what some might hope for. We cannot afford to be seen as petty or on someone's side. This is also not a time to worry about being liked. Reporters have been taking hits from people in power throughout history. What we're going through right now did not start on January 20th. Our jobs are not to be liked, but to be respected and to be valued. And we do that by being unflinching. Often when we speak of brave reporters, we naturally understandably think in terms of those working in conflict zones or disaster zones or in places in the world where they don't honor freedom of the press. But this is a time to be brave on every front that we cover, to push aside the smoke screens that are meant to block us from the truth. Our honorees tonight remind us of the power and potential of broadcast journalism to change lives, to open eyes, and to hold those in positions of power or influence accountable. That's what we do. That's our job. That's what we will continue to do. So with that, let's get started with the evening. And now to um, our, our first special guest uh, for the night to highlight uh, the tradition of these awards. Over the last 20 years, he and his team have won five awards, DuPont Awards, for radio progr programming that has revolutionized public radio and the way we tell stories with sound. Ira Glass has hosted and produced This American Life since he created the program in 1995. Every week, almost two million listeners tune in on more than 500 public radio stations and on the podcast. His DuPont award-winning programs tell a range of stories from cancer treatment to anti-Muslim discrimination to the global recession of 2008 and gun violence. In this excerpt, clipped using This American Life's new shortcut app for sharing audio, we'll hear the 2014 DuPont winning series, Harper High, parts one and two. Producers spent five months at Harper High School in Chicago to give listeners a sense of life in the midst of so much gun violence. Harper High School, south side of Chicago, first day of school this year, first thing in the morning, everybody gathers in the gym for a beginning of the year assembly. The school's principal, Leonetta Sanders, is at the mic. I need us to begin to quiet down 
sitting all together in a group of the freshmen, looking the way the freshmen do on the first day of school, like they barely know who they are. The class of 2016, where you at? The class of 2016, where you at? Down in front, sitting together are the seniors, looking the way seniors do on the first day of school. And then my babies are here. My class of 2013, where you at? The program is one-third pep rally, two-thirds business, introductions and rules. Exactly the kind of first-day stuff you would expect at any school. Till it's not. Last year was a difficult year for most of us, for all of us in the Harper community. You know, um, and the freshmen may not know, but we lost three students last year. This is actually underplaying the bad news. Last year, 21 kids, current and recent Harper students, were wounded by gunshots. Five recent students died. And that is all on top of the three current students that Ms. Sanders mentioned. Total, 29 shot, eight of them dead. Please welcome This American Life host and executive producer, Ira Glass. Thank you for this honor. Um, one way to measure the limited power of fact-based reporting came this September when Donald Trump uh, held a press conference declaring that, number one, he had personally concluded that Barack Obama was born in this country, and number two, the rumor that he was not born in this country was started by Hillary Clinton. That second claim, everybody will remember, was refuted almost in real time uh, on live television forcefully and thoroughly by the excellent and exemplary Jake Tapper on CNN and by a number of others. And then the entire machine of the American mainstream media kicked into gear immediately and for a few days refuting the lie about Hillary Clinton starting the birther controversy. And then a couple days after that, I went looking for polling numbers on this issue. So the only poll that I could find that hit this specific topic in the right time frame was a Monmouth poll uh, of likely voters in Florida. It showed that after Trump's press conference, a couple days after, one-third now believe that Hillary Clinton started the birther controversy, which is really uh, depressing. Um, sometimes uh, this year, I don't know how you all are feeling, but sometimes it feels like, uh, as a working journalist, I'm on a team that is losing yardage week by week. And, and, and seeing that, I, I also had this feeling that I, I wonder if a lot of people in this, in this room have had at some point in this year, like, I want to reach those people. Like, I want to reach that third. Like, I want to reach them, those people who are not interested in factual information, or in fact, they actively doubt the factual information presented by those of us who are in the mainstream media. And, and it's a puzzle, honestly, I've been thinking about for months. Like, how do we present fact-based reporting uh, to people who do not trust any of us in, in this room? Like, what do we need to invent to do that? I will say, because I am a fact-based person, the answer to that is possibly that there's nothing we can do. Um, but I'll also say, um, that just seems like quitter talk. And, um, and, 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 uh, and among the American values that I believe that journalists carry every day in their jobs in exemplary ways is that we are not quitters. We make the extra phone call. We do the extra interview. We do not shut up ever. <clears throat> and um, I don't know. I, I feel like we need to run at this problem. Um, we were told um, to focus our remarks tonight. I got an email saying, focus on, quote, things that will inspire our audience. 
<laughs> Ever since I was a baby reporter at NPR when I was 19 and 20 years old, I have taken my assignments very seriously and I try to deliver to my editors what I am asked. Um, here are some things that I see right now that I find to be hopeful. First off, in just these first few days of this new administration, the force and the speed with which the press has been countering the non-factual statements coming out of the White House has been totally wonderful to watch. Uh, so, so, like, like so many moments in the Spicer press conferences just make me feel so proud uh, to be a journalist, to proud to be on the team, like just proud of my colleagues who are asking questions like, could we just hear, like how many people are unemployed right now in this country? Like what's the baseline? Mara Lyson asked that recently at a press conference. Like if you're saying you're gonna add to the number of jobs, what is the unemployment rate right now? Um, I'm in the unusual position to be in a, a part of journalism that's going through a crazy boom time. Uh, where audience and revenues are climbing uh, very, very quickly, and that's, and that's podcasting. Millions of people around the world are consuming long-form, serious journalism in podcast form. 13 million people downloaded every episode of Serial Season 1. 4 million people, I think more, downloaded every episode of NPR's Invisibilia. 2.5 million download every episode of This American Life. And one of our producers, Zoe Chase, I feel like these podcasts go places that are really interesting. One of our producers, Zoe Chase, was at the inaugural ball, one of the inaugural balls last week, the, the one uh, for people who, who create memes and troll on behalf of Donald Trump on social media. Uh, it was, was the deplorable. And she was very interested to learn how many, many fans we had there. Like one person after another came up to her to tell her that. And, and the president, for all of his complaining about CNN, really seems to watch a lot of CNN. You know, and, and, and I will say like one third of the people in that Florida poll believed a lie. And two thirds knew it was a lie. They heard the truth. That's most, that's still most, which is to say, People are still paying attention to what we're doing. We are still in the game. As Lester Holt said at the beginning of this, let's do our jobs. Now it is my pleasure to introduce our second special guest, a legendary reporter whose courageous conflict reporting around the world shines a light in dark places from Iran to Bosnia and Iraq and many more. She's known for holding the powerful accountable with tough and fair questions. Christiane Amanpour is chief international correspondent at CNN, where she hosts the global affairs interview program Amanpour. She's won five DuPonts, her first in 1985 for a documentary about Iran. And she was part of a team of reporters from CNN who were honored for coverage of the war in Bosnia in 1994. Her most recent award in 2009 was for a precedent series about the rise of religious fundamentalism around the world and here in the U.S. Let's take a look back at some of her signature reporting from the war in Bosnia. CNN interviewed two Serb soldiers captured and jailed by Muslim forces in Sarajevo. In the presence of their captors, they told us they had been ordered to rape and kill Muslim women. I killed one girl and one man, and I raped two girls. A man showed us which rooms we should take. When we entered, he threatened the girls, telling them not to shout or scream. They told us it was good for the soldiers' morale. Then they told us we would have to kill them because there wasn't enough food and there would be more women. I killed only two. 
The international community estimates that Serbs may have systematically raped as many as 20,000 Muslim women as a weapon of war, though they admit they may never know the real figure because of the code of silence among women who are overwhelmed by feelings of shame and resentment. Resentment because stories like these have been filtering out for more than six months now as the world stood silently by. Please welcome CNN's Christiane Amimpour. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's really exciting and actually exhilarating being here tonight. I'm so proud to have won one of these or a couple of these, and I'm so amazed to see this amazing journalism still, and it is exciting because we know, don't we, that we are in a special historic moment where really it goes to show and it does prove that excellent journalism, such as the journalism that's been awarded here tonight, is vital to a decent and robust and strong democracy. And we know that right now we must stay focused, we must stay united, we must not be distracted by the latest shiny object, we must continue to seek and to recognize and to defend the truth and what is meaningful and what is important. I feel very strongly that if the powerful declares war on us, we have to fight back. And if they try to tempt us with access, we have to resist. And especially right now, I think above all else, we, have must, we must not be complacent in continuing to ensure that those great words of Edward R. Murrow that are inscribed on every DuPont baton, that this platform that we have can educate, can illuminate and can inspire. And we must always ensure, as he warned, never to allow it to be just wires and lights in a box. Thank you so much. And now I'm pleased to introduce our third special guest, a broadcast journalism icon, who over the years has taken home six DuPont batons for extraordinary programming. Bill Moyers has spent more than half a century as a journalist and political commentator. He also served as White House press secretary in the Johnson administration and spent 10 years at CBS News where he won his first DuPont award. Then after starting his own production company, he won his second DuPont Award for the epic 1988 documentary series, Joseph Campbell and the Power of Myth. Other DuPont award-winning work over the years on public television tackled equally profound and complex topics from war and its ravages to the power of the timeless song, Amazing Grace. Moyers has taken home not one but two coveted gold batons, DuPont's highest honor, and always his elegant, authoritative commentary shines through. In coping with hatred, there are no miracles. This world is hard on believers, and even the faith in progress that greeted our century has itself fallen victim to hatred armed with modern weapons and sent marching in the service of the state. Even when nations are at peace with one another, we are too often reminded of what hate can do in a single mind possessed by it. We've seen hate born of fear, hate speaking in the name of God and 
truth. Hate holding up a distorting mirror to our fellow human being. We have seen, too, that hatred is easier learned than relinquished. Please give a warm welcome to Bill Moyers. Thank you. Please. Well, you are, you're never too old to say, wow, <laughs> or to feel the wonder of the moment that inspired it. And I feel the wonder of being up here with so many talented young journalists out there and with my colleagues, Jane and Lester and with all of you who have uh, contributed to my understanding of the world. I'm really over age for this uh, gathering, and I am for these times. I don't belong in the Trump world. I come, grew up in a normative world, not a beautiful world, but a normative world, and the norms are being severed by the phenomenon of this time. When I became White House press secretary against my will in 1965, my father, a Baptist deacon, uh, sent me a telegram saying, Bill, tell the truth if you can, but if you can't tell the truth, don't tell a lie. He had a fourth grade education and was the most honest man I ever knew. I did my best to honor his wish. It was hard. But even then, our credibility was so bad we couldn't believe our own leaks. It was just as hard in journalism. When I came back to journalism, there were still uh, problems. After I gave the commencement one year at Dartmouth, a young student, came, a graduating student, came up to me and said, Mr. Moyers, you've been in both government and journalism. That makes everything you say doubly hard to believe. <laughs> so I've tried to stay humble because it's necessary. 67 years ago this June, on my 16th birthday, I went to work for the daily newspaper in the small East Texas town where I grew up. It was a good place to be a cub reporter, small enough to navigate and big enough to keep me busy and give me something to learn every day. From there, as you saw, I traveled long, far, and wide as journalism became my continuing course in adult education with someone else paying the travel and the tuition. Sometimes my journey brought me here to this campus and several times to this podium. I always felt as if I were entering a sacred place. The high church of journalism is what my friend and mentor and soulmate, Dean Joan Connor, used to call it. The high church where the principles of our craft are exalted and the flame of inspiration never flickered. I'm grateful for those visits here as I'm grateful to be back tonight. We journalists need each other. An alien force has arrived from the galaxy Orwell, making false claims on democracy, waging war against the press, 
littering our public agencies with no trespassing signs. Alternate facts have become the opioids of politics. It's a dangerous world, a disfigured world, marked by lies and threats. This evening, at least six of our media colleagues face up to 10 years in prison and a $25,000 fine after being arrested while covering the unrest at Donald Trump's inauguration. So this occasion and your work are charged with urgency. You have a mission to fulfill, to get your readers, listeners, and viewers as close as possible to the verifiable truth. And you have promises to keep to your audiences, to yourself, and to one another. We journalists need each other. As my own journey rounds the last curve, one thing I have longed, I have learned in both government and journalism remains the unshakable certainty of my own education. Democracy can die of too many lies. A student once asked my friend, colleague, the historian and journalist Richard Reeves, what's your definition of real news? And Richard said, the news we need to keep our freedom. So good luck to all of you. It's been a great honor. <laughs> it is a great honor to have traveled so far in the company of so many kindred spirits. Thank you. take some time now to remember a dear colleague and friend of the journalism community and the DuPont Awards who passed away late last year. Gwen Ifill was one of the country's most trusted political reporters. Over the course of her three decades long career, she covered eight presidential elections and moderated two vice presidential debates, posing difficult questions with respect and integrity. A co-anchor and managing editor of the PBS NewsHour, as well as the moderator and managing editor of Washington Week, Gwen died on November 14, 2016, from cancer. Gwen is remembered for her intellect and for her grace and for her generosity, mentoring the next generation of journalists. Let's take a look back at Gwen Ifill's remarkable career. When you went to television. Yes. Um, we heard from Pete Williams that you took to it almost immediately. That's so not true. Good evening, I'm Gwen Eiffel. Even marginal progress could be affected by investigations in Little Rock and in Washington. I want to talk to you about AIDS, and not about AIDS in China or Africa, but AIDS right here in this country. When I was a little girl, there was a woman named uh, Melba Tolliver who was on the news and she had a big afro. 
and I just was transfixed by this idea. That didn't make me want to be in television as much as it made me want to tell the story. Hmm. How do we as a nation cope with race, conflict, and our inability to see each other? Invariably, somebody will come up to me and tell me the story of their little girl. And it always stops me in my tracks. Because as, as long as I remember that there's someone on the other side of the piece of equipment, the camera, who's watching me with expectation, and it can shape what they do next, I have to take what I do seriously every single day. Why don't you mention Donald Trump by name? You know, uh, he seems to do a good job mentioning his own name. <laughs> so, Gwen uh, was a friend of ours. She was an extraordinary journalist. She always kept faith with the fundamental responsibilities of her profession, asking tough questions, holding people in power accountable, and defending a strong and free press that makes our democracy work. We have a dedicated, uh, committed audience who want to know more, who want us to dig a little deeper on their behalf. And so if they weren't there, if they weren't supporting the work we do, we couldn't exist. And I think it's kind of vital to democracy that we do exist. Here now to tell us a little more about Gwen is her friend and colleague and a trailblazer in her own right, journalist and author Charlene Hunter-Galt. Well, while I get my emotions together, let me congratulate all of the winners tonight. Um, inspiring work. Also, um, to thank the Columbia DuPont Awards for honoring Gwen in this way. I'm glad that you didn't call it a memorial because Gwen is always with me and I think always with many of you. Almost every day I run into strangers on the street who tell me because they associate me with the news hour how much they loved Gwen and how much they miss her. She lives. She really lives, and why? Because Gwen was living personification of the words that Christiane spoke a few minutes ago about Edward R. Murrow. She thought of herself as a journalist who could inspire, who could educate, who could teach. To be sure, Gwen didn't suffer fools gladly, but she did so with the utmost respect so that even those she didn't suffer gladly, respected her back. <laughs> and despite her well-deserved adoration, she never forgot those who looked like her. Countless young women who took inspiration from a woman who had been confronted with hateful words in Boston at the beginning of her career and maybe beyond, though she would never publicly talk about it. And she not only stood as a role model for them, those who looked like her, but on a regular basis, she reached out to those and every other young aspiring journalist and told them, if I could, you can. Now, even before I got to know Gwen up close and personal, I instinctively knew how Gwen rolled but we were both known as PKs. Now some of you will get that, some of you won't, so I'll tell you, it's called preacher's kids. <laughs> so I knew that Gwen was equipped with moral armor, fitted on us by the AME church teachings, like the survivors of those who forgave 
the shooter in Charleston. Armor that served her, them, and me well as we traversed roads not usually traversed by women who looked like us. It was moral armor that Gwen wore as she provided news that knew no boundaries and also serving where she worked as the conscience of those places, not least ongoing challenges of covering one of the greatest stains on our democracy, racism. Gwen's armor kept her grounded and focused on her job and not history making. That led hundreds to her homegoing service at the AME Church in DC, where as often as she could, she attended on Sundays and she sat in a particular church pew and allowed the Holy Spirit to polish her armor. Armor that enabled her in her final hours at the hospice to tell her brother something he shared with us on the evening of her, on the day of her funeral. <clears throat> And he shared with us something that helped us understand how she could have put on such a beautiful face on television, time after time after time, while intermittently undergoing chemotherapy for the cancer that eventually took her away from us. Minutes before she became the ancestor, Bill Moyers, you know about ancestors, right? The ancestor who lives with us today her brother told us at the funeral that in her final moments, she said, I have no doubt, I have no doubt, I have no doubt. And when I was telling my son that, he said, well, what did she have no doubt about? <laughs> I said, Chuma, she went to church every Sunday, so she had no doubt that the person whom she worshiped there, her confidence came from the God she worshiped who would take care of her no matter where she went on the journey she was about to undertake. <clears throat> and so tonight, let me say, I have no doubt when will remain the kind of inspiration that will keep people stopping me on the street remembering her in all of her magnificent manifestations and will help all of us in the profession she loved remain true to our values, especially now. Her spirit is echoing some of the words I heard here tonight. Her spirit is saying, take the heat. And to paraphrase my great civil rights colleague, John Lewis, who like to say we should get in the way, I wanna to say to us that Gwen's spirit is telling each and every one of us when we go out to do our jobs, to get in the way, to get in the way of falsehoods and false prophets and fake news and continues to provide, to provide news that can be used for all of the people 
all of the time. And remember her message when you do that. And say to yourself, when you perform the job that may get you stuck in somebody's tweet, I have no doubt. I have to say, this was one moment in the ceremony where I and probably pretty everyone else in the audience was weeping. It was so moving to hear from her. That was incredible. So there were a lot of incredible moments in the evening, though. Bill Moyers, I think I would have to say that's the second moment in the ceremony when I was weeping. <laughs> the second of two. <laughs> there were only two, but those were they. Um, and he got two standing ovations when he went up and when he sat back down again. It was It was... Especially coming from him as a former press secretary in in these moments with the new administration, it was really helpful to hear from him. So we're joined by one of our DuPont student fellows who we have every year participate in this work that we do. And welcome, Meg. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Abby. <laughs> we asked you to we asked you to come visit with us in the booth instead of uh, over there in the studio where you would normally help produce us because at the ceremony you actually were one of the one of the speakers and we just wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Uh, what were you doing up there? So it was a very surreal moment for me, um, like sharing the stage, not you know at the same time, but sharing the stage with people like Christiane Amanpour, Bill Moyers, Ira Glass, Lester Holt. Like that was kind of nerve-wracking. Um, and Kim and I, Kim is one of the other fellows, um, we kind of gave a brief history of the DuPont Columbia Awards, um, kind of walking everybody through the 75 years of DuPont. And you got to mingle with some of these journalism legends, didn't you, before the ceremony? I did. And I can only imagine how awkward I came off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they loved it. Um, there was there was a point where I went up to Bill Moyers, and I was like, Mr. Moyers, uh, Bill, what do I call you? <laughs> he was like, call me Bill. <laughs> and you got a selfie with him, right? I did, yes. I've been a huge Bill Moyers fan since I was a young lass. Um, I think I saw The Power of Myth when I was like seven or eight, uh, which I don't know if many seven or eight-year-olds watch that typically, uh, but I loved it. Um, and so I told him that I told him how much, you know, how long I've been a fan of his. And he was like, why don't we get a picture together? And so he suggested it. And I was like, of course, for me, his his speech uh, was probably the most powerful moment of the night as an aspiring journalist. Um, one of my favorite quotes that he said was, you know, this occasion and your work are charged with urgency. And so I think in a world of alternative facts, um, Important like journalism has become so important and and so critical um, to our society and you know his speech plus I guess every speech that night and every person I I talked to reaffirmed my decision to kind of enter this field. Yeah, I'm glad you could be there, Meg Dalton. Thank you so much. I personally also found Christian's presentation to be a real call to arms as well. Very sort of exhilarating and and dramatic and and got everyone really focused again on what's important. So I love I always love hearing from her. Yeah, and and I actually was thrilled to see Ira up there. When he gets up on the stage, he brings with him a piece of paper where he did this time. And he seems to be, but he seems to be speaking in complete stream of consciousness. And it's very, uh, it's fascinating to watch him kind of 
search his soul while he's standing up on the stage. And I was very moved by his words. This episode of On Assignment was brought to you from the DuPont Awards at the Columbia Journalism School with the support of the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund. This episode was produced by producer and J-School grad Hava Gurari. Our music is by Dylan Nowick. And our sound engineer is who? I think it was is Meg, Meg Dalton. Dalton. <laughs> so, and Double dipping right, on a big, assignment. A big thank you to you and the other fellows, Val Caval and Kim Flores. And so. to the newest member of our team, Millie Christy Dervo. You can follow us on Twitter at OnAssignmentPod and find us at OnAssignmentPodcast.org. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. I don't even know what Stitcher is. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, everybody.